Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Bond with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Coming to you live this morning on the, what is it, 22nd of August, 2007, in the year of our Lord. Uh, good to be here. Uh, coming to you live from sunny central uh, Florida. And uh, glad to have every one of you here this morning. If you're tuning in with us for the very first time today, uh, you have, like I said, you've come into the Raven Institute. And this is an online class that we have Monday through Friday from 9 until 10 o'clock a.m., Eastern Standard Time, where we are doing an expository teaching currently on the book of Romans. This is going to be our 58th, class number 58. If you're thinking, man, I'm 58 lessons behind, really, you're just right on time. We are just now in the fifth chapter of the book of Romans. And if you've not uh, had the benefit of being with us for the previous 57, you can actually go onto our website at www.biggrace.com and click on Raven Institute and download the previous lessons in MP3 format. Got an email uh, yet last night, I guess it was, a young man that I bumped into. He works for Coca-Cola here in Daytona Beach area that uh, saw, I guess, one of our Raven shirts. I was on, in the grocery store in Walmart, and uh, he asked about it. And he feels a call to ministry. He's 24 years old. He's married, got children. And uh, he sent me an email, and he said he's been going on and downloading the, uh, several of the Romans classes. So, you know, if you've missed out on those, you haven't missed out at all, you can go get those. And those things are offered to you for free. If you don't have a way to download or whatever else, and you'd like it on a, on a CD-ROM, I'll be glad to, to send you some of those. If you'll just email me, Pastor Troy, and my email address is raven at biggrace.com. Love to put uh, whatever in your hands to help you in any way to understand this word. We've got several... Uh, Folks, and, and just a shout out to our people that are taking these and using them in various countries around the world in their uh, local Bible classes. And so we have uh, ministers and pastors that are actually taking these CDs, and they're, uh, they don't have access themselves, but they're going to like an internet cafe in a major city in an African nation or in Pakistan or whatever else, and they'll download these and burn them, and they'll take them and play them for their class. And so we just want to welcome and shout out to all you guys and just greetings. In the name of Jesus, to our brothers and sisters around the world who are taking advantage of these classes as well. We love you and we just pray for God's uh, blessing and understanding to be upon you as you study the Word of God. So, once again, good to be here in the presence of the Lord. And thank you guys for uh, joining us and for your faithfulness to be here as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, this morning. Father, we just thank you today for your Son, Jesus. We just thank you, Lord God, that, that we're saved by grace, Lord God, through faith. Lord God, it's not of works that any man should boast. Lord God, that we sit here as complete debtors to the cross of Calvary. Lord God, there is not an ounce of righteousness in us apart from the blood of Jesus, Lord God. That we were morally, Lord God, and completely destitute uh, apart from the regeneration of the new birth, Lord God, that comes through faith in your Son. And Lord God, we just thank you today, Lord God, and we are just completely grateful for you, Lord God, and for your great love towards us. Father, we were blind, Lord God, in our own rebellion. We were blind in our own wickedness and our perversions, Lord God. Regardless of how righteous we thought we were, Lord God, of our, or our own goodness, Lord God, we were totally destitute, Lord God, until the Lord Jesus Christ came and paid the penalty for our sins. And so, Father, we come today, Lord God, as a very grateful and thankful people, Lord God. Regardless of the struggles that, that we may have to go through, we know those things pale in comparison to the, the suffering that was laid across your son Jesus upon the cross of Calvary. And once again, Lord God, we are grateful to you, Lord God. We just ex exalt that name Jesus above every other name. We thank you, Lord God, that our hope is in him, our, our life is in him, our eternity, Lord God, is in him. And Lord God, we just glory in the name of Jesus today, and we just put all of our faith and all of our trust upon him. And Father, we just ask, Lord God, today that your spirit would be present with us. We just ask you to fill us, Lord God, with all wisdom and knowledge and understanding. We, we are desperate and, Lord God, completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit, Lord God, to lead and guide us into all truth. And we thank you that you have sent that comforter. You have sent that paraclete, Lord God, to come inside of us and alongside of us to guide us, Lord God, in those places. And today, we need your guidance through your word. We just ask, Lord God, that you cause our minds to be, Lord God, like a, a reservoir receiving the, 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 the word, Lord God, and that fresh washing and the regeneration of your word today, Lord God. Just give us an understanding, give us an insight, Lord God, beyond our own abilities, beyond our own comprehension, Lord God. Just, just reveal yourself to us, Lord God, in, in glory and in power and in majesty and in righteousness, Lord God, today. Father, I pray, Lord God, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord God, around the world that are suffering enormous persecution for the cause of Christ. Lord God, those that, that may be in, 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 in nations, Lord God, affected or, or ruled over by radical Islam or some other type of religion, that just merely, Lord God, standing 
standing up for, for the name of Jesus could be a death sentence. Father, I pray for them. And I pray, Lord God, even as they're sifted like wheat, Lord God, that their faith would not fail. That they would know, Lord God, that to be absent even from the bodies to be in the presence of the Lord. I pray, Lord God, that they would not bow, Lord God, their testimony or their declaration, Lord God. They stand, Lord God, as shining examples to, to us, Lord God, here in this nation, Lord God. Father, we, we, we look up to the, them and respect them for their walk in you, Lord God. We, 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 we love the Jesus in them, Lord God, and their, their willingness to, to lay down their life, Lord God, for the cause of Christ in a very real way on a daily basis. And we just pray for them, Lord God, for encouragement. We pray, Lord God, for just a, a supernatural outpouring of your Spirit in those regions most affected, Lord God, by widespread persecution of the, of the Christian church. And we just ask that your strength would be upon them. Lord God, I pray for those that have been sick in body this morning, those that have been, uh, Lord God, affected by, Lord God, ongoing uh, uh, diseases, Lord God. And I pray in the name of Jesus for the, for your blood, Lord God, to do a work this morning. I'm praying, Lord God, for, just a, for, for testimonies of miracles, Lord God. Not because of us, but because of you, Lord God. The Word says that you went about healing all manner of sickness and disease. And Lord God, I know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We're just asking, Lord God, for a touch physically, Lord God, emotionally, relationally, Lord God. Those that are struggling in, in marital relationships, we're just asking, Lord God, for your, your hand to be there. Those, Lord God, that are struggling with in, in business situations or in their employment, we're asking, Lord God, for a divine intervention in this hour, Lord God. Father, what, I, what I'm really praying is, is, Father, for you to remove all of our excuses. Lord God, that we would just have a complete and utter dependence upon you in Jesus' name. That we recognize, Lord God, that the kingdoms of this world shall, Lord God, and have become the kingdoms of our God. That, Father, anything that would exalt itself against you, we would cast those things down and we would just bring into captivity, Lord God, any thought, any transgression, anything, Lord God, that would nullify, Lord God, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Lord God, we want to be able to be holy, even as Christ is holy as you have told us, Lord God. But we know that that will only come, Lord God, through a repentant heart. And, Father, a humility and a total and utter dependence upon Jesus Christ. And that's what we're asking for today, Lord God. Give us the wisdom and the understanding on how to get there, Lord God. That is our heart's desire, is to get to that place. But, Father, we're just so feeble, we're so frail, we're so clumsy in trying to do those things. And we ask for your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. All right, folks, we're going to go big look and uh, kind of focusing on verses 12 through 16 in Romans chapter uh, 5 this morning. You know, we've been talking about a few things the last few days, and one of the things we really kind of hit on yesterday was the fact that, you know, sin has entered into the world, and, and there's a consequence to that sin that should present and uh, uh, create an urgency within our heart. There's got to be something, you know, and I, and I cannot. Uh, say enough that folks if we're going to be moved by anything we need to be moved by compassion we need to be moved by the same exact compassion that, that moved the Lord Jesus Christ we, we've got to cause our hearts to be stirred we've got to be uh, moved and motivated and see things the way he sees things you know we, we, we coin a phrase uh, with, with Raven Ministries it's not just a cliche but it's it's how we have to function and not just a one time ordeal but on a daily basis and it's when you see it like he saw it then you will do it like he did it. And, and, and guys, that should never diminish in our thinking. That should be the, 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 the rule in which we function. Lord God, I want to see things how you see things. I want to see people how you see people. And see, when we have that type of heart and that type of attitude, according to, to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, then literally it changes and transforms every aspect of our life. Not just our, our public ministry that we go out and may do, but it, even our very private relationships. Because then we'll begin to see people in, in the same way that Jesus sees them. Whether it's our spouse, whether it's our children, whether it's a relative we've been at, uh, had odd against. Whatever the case may be, whether it's an employer uh, or someone, we'll see people the way he saw people. And w the way he saw people with, it was a complete devotion and a love. Now, did that mean that devotion or love was uh, something that just winked at sin? Absolutely not. But everything that drove Jesus to preach righteousness, to preach truth, to preach holiness, all those things were driven by a great love that God has for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And so, we, we see that, that sin entered in and it was imputed to men uh, into the world, that it was deposited upon our account, but that, that Christ Jesus came and He provided a way out of that. Not just a way out of the sin but a way into Him, a way to see things literally the way He saw things. I know for me, uh, 
prior to coming to Christ Jesus, uh, man, I had a lot of concern. But all my concern was just strictly for myself. I, I really, anything that I did, whether it was a friendship or relationship or whatever it may have been, was strictly uh, what would it benefit me? How could I uh, profit either personally or whatever situation from that relationship? But something happens when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything changes, or it should change if it's a legitimate relationship with Jesus. And, and I guess that's really what I've been trying to talk about in a couple of our lessons is really what is the fruit of salvation? You know, the, the Word tells us that they will know we're His disciples by the love that we show one another. And that, that love is just not limited to, well, you're real sweet and God bless you and all that. No, the, the love is a desperation on our behalf to, to, to save them literally from the wrath to come. And that's why Jesus came, to save us from the wrath to come. We know that in this world that, that we're going to suffer tri tribulations and persecutions. But folks, this world and the time that we spend in this world is just a fleeting moment. In the, in the scope of what God has for us uh, for all eternity. And if we genuinely love someone, we're going to be more concerned about their eternal destiny than we are going to be about their temporal pleasures and their temporal comforts. But something has crept into the church, and, and I know each one of us has seen it to a particular degree, that um, it's almost as though we're so focused on making people more comfortable that we've forgotten about the aspect of eternity and why we preach the gospel to begin with. We don't preach the gospel to line men's pockets. We don't preach the gospel so that you'll have a bigger house or a nicer car. We don't, we don't preach the gospel so that you'll have finer clothes or even that you'll have all the food that you want to eat. That's not the purpose in preaching the gospel. You know, he says, I know what you have need of, that, that you have need of, of clothing or raiment. I know that you have need of a place to live. I know those things. But he said, if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then those things will be added unto you. And He'll, he'll supply all of your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That, that, that he'll, he'll take care of those things because He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging for bread. But folks, we've got to be a, a people that seek after the kingdom. Not our organizations, not our... our, our uh, our denominations, but we've got to seek after the kingdom. And he said, you know what? He said, the kingdom cometh not with observation. And it's not the things that we, we see. It's not the kingdom doesn't, is not manifested in, in what we possess or what we can acquire. Because once again, all these things are, are just strictly for our temporal or temporary pleasures or comforts. But what we're striving for is, uh, is that which is in eternal. And that's why the Word of God also declares, it says, the kingdom of God is within you. Inside of each and every one of us, once the Spirit of God is, is imparted or imputed into us through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, having been affected and drawn to Him through His grace and through His mercy, literally the, 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 the manifestation, the power, and the qualities of the kingdom are, are, are put on deposit within our life. And folks, and how we, we withdraw those things is through faithful obedience to the Word of God. But it's also through knowing the Word of God. Because, you know, I could tell you that, listen, I, I put you a million dollars... Uh, on account in a local bank, and it's yours. But I've got to tell you some things about. I got number one. I've got to tell you what bank. There's a lot of local banks. I've got to give you the account number. I've got to tell you the process by which you withdraw those those funds. And folks, it's the same thing. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ as little children, we come literally with no with no understanding apart from realizing that we are lost and destitute without Jesus Christ. We we come. We don't have the account number. We don't have the the keys, so to speak. To, to unlock those, those hidden treasures that God has for us. And so that's why we come together and we begin to study the Word of God because that's what brings the victory. And how many times have we quoted that this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so as we look at people and as we look at uh, folks particularly that are, that are unregenerate, that are lost, we've got to see them the way He sees them. He sees them as faithless. And so, the, uh, the, so we know that the consequences of, of having no faith are, is that it's going to be a sinful life and the wages of sin is death. And so what our responsibility is, is to, to speak forth that word of God that provides a, a mechanism for grace to encounter that's going to produce righteousness in their life through that faith. And so as we preach uh, the cross of Calvary, we preach the Word of God. That's why it says that He chose the foolishness of preaching the gospel to save that which is lost. And, and Paul said, listen, I'm, not, I'm determined not to know anything. I, I don't care about what else I know except Christ and Him crucified, the power of God. Because if we have that as our premise, if we have that as our primary function, and we, we, we impute or impart that, word of, that genuine word of faith to, to, to individuals, 
then what are we doing? We're setting them up to be affected and influenced and transformed by the person of Christ Jesus. You know, you'll hear me say all the time, you know, you can move into a chicken coop and it doesn't make you a chicken. You can go to church and it will never make you a Christian. You'll, you'll, you won't be walking in Christianity, but it'll be churchianity. And folks, the only way that you're going to literally become the disciple that he has is for you to search the Scripture. For you to search it out, look into the Word of God, become uh, devoted, uh, a devoted student to the Word of God and to seeking His face through prayer and, 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 and delighting uh, yourself in Him through worship. And, and, and there's no shortcuts into the kingdom. I've known people in, in, that have uh, been a part of our ministry, been a part of churches that I've pastored, that always wanted to find a shortcut. That they would see you know, somebody that had literally lived a devoted life for many years and they'd say, I want to be like that, I want to be like that. But what they didn't realize was the tremendous price that had to be paid on, on, on account of that individual to do that. They, they had to deny themselves. They had to, they had to forego some of the, the more luxurious things in their life. They had to forego some of the, the things that other people might take pleasure in that aren't necessarily sinful, but they're, just, they're things that will, would impede their progress in relationship to their desire for the body of Christ. And so there's, there's no shortcuts into the kingdom. If you want to know the Word of God, if you want to have the Word of God get into you, you've got to get into it. And we say that time and time again, that you've got to in, in, in envelop yourself in the Word of God to allow those things to happen. So we've been talking about just the reality of it and just uh, really kind of the litmus test and the gauge for the true and false church. And that there's, there's no free passes. That, that every single one of us have been born destitute and without hope and in complete need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to depart from the, 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 the cliches and depart from the traditions of men and all those things that, that would seem noble and righteous and seem religious, but uh, they're just simply ways that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. Because every man feels that his ways are right in his own eyes. But there is only one way, only one truth, and one life, and that is the way Jesus Christ. And so, uh, Romans 12, uh, chapter 5, 12 through 16, it says, Wherefore is by one man sin, uh, sin entered into the world, and, by, and, and, and death by that sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We, we talked about that. It, but it, then it says in verse 13, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. And we discussed this yesterday, that you know, from the time of, of, of Adam until the time of Moses, about 2,600 years I believe it is, that there was no specific law. That there was, there was, there was nothing that said, okay, don't do this, do that, or, or in particular. But that uh, through that, it didn't eliminate the consequences of sin. You know, folks, listen, I could be going through a neighborhood. Is there something? No. Uh, I could be going through a neighborhood and there not be a sign that says 30 miles per hour. But if I'm driving down the road at 100 miles an hour, you know what? There, there, I know that there's going to be a consequence to that. And it was the same without the law. Even though there was not a sign or a marker upon the road that, that said you can't drive 100 miles an hour, uh, common sense or common knowledge or just, uh, or, or just practicality would say that there's going to be a consequence and there's something not right about that. And so really that's what he's talking about, that it's not imputed, that there's not specifically saying, listen, you're going 70 miles over the, the limit or you've broken law 1, 2, 3, and 4. But the thing about it is is, is that, that, that once sin came in, sin had a dire effect and the effect was death upon anyone that would be influenced or affected by that. And so I want us to start looking this morning at, at verse 14 of Romans chapter 5. And it said, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. And I'm going to go ahead and read the next two verses. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. So if through the, the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so it is the gift... For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Where it, where it says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, it really just really establishes what I just said, that the, the fact that even though individual or specific sins were not mentioned or accounted for each individual, because the absence of a written law or established code of ethics, I guess you could call it, the mere fact that people died during that period proved that they were in sin. Now I want to say that again. The fact that people died, you know, Adam lived to be 930 years and he died. Why? Because he was affected by sin. 
And so, you know, we don't need a law to determine that people are in sin. The fact that people are dying reveals that they're in sin. The, the fact that people are degenerating, the fact that people are, are sick, the, the fact that, the, that, that people are, are angry, all those things are the effect, or they're the, the symptom of sin. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because the wages or the symptom or the consequences of sin is death. And so even now you'll meet someone, they'll, they'll say, well, listen, I'm not, I'm not in sin. Well, you serve in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, well, no, I just have my own way, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I believe that, that I'm okay. And if there is a God, that I'm going to be okay with Him. So, so you're not in sin. You're not transgressing. Absolutely not. I don't kill anybody. I don't do these type of things. And so are you ever sick? Uh, well, yeah. So are you aging? Yeah. Well, are you, have you, uh, have you ever get uh, disconcerted with situation? Yeah. Well, see, folks, those are all symptomatic of sin. Now, if someone has a, a, a brain tumor that is just starting to grow, I can look at them and I'll never see the brain tumor. But the fact, of the, uh, the, the fact that I can't see it does not nullify the fact that it's there because there's going to be effect. And if that, if that brain tumor is left unchecked and there's never a surgical procedure or, or any type of treatment done to, 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 to stifle the effects of it or to arrest its development, what's it going to eventually do? It's going to take over the, 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 the skull of that individual and eventually it's going to lead to a physical death. And folks, it's the exact same way with sin. We, we, just because we don't see it, just because that there wasn't a law or a standard of it, or, or you know, we could say to people, "Well, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to remain ignorant." I know, I know people that, that that basically desire to be ignorant. That way, they'll feel like they're they're off the hook. Well, no, don't tell me that. And I've had people I've been witnessing to don't say that to me because then I'll, I'll feel like I'm accountable to, to know it. Yeah, we are accountable to walk in the light as believers. But that no uh, that by no means nullifies the consequences of that sin or that death that has come upon our life. And so, you know, I say that the reason that we can tell it is because people are dying all the time. So you know that the consequence of, of, of sin is death. Now think about this for a minute. Do you realize that, the, that there was one reason that Jesus could not stay dead? Have any idea about that? Huh? Well, he, he couldn't stay dead because he had no sin in him. You know what kills us? Sin. Death could not hold him because there was no sin in which to hold him. That show, and, and I say that because really that shows you the, 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 the magnitude of his, of his sacrifice for us. You know, we watch, we watch things like the Passion of the Christ and we get this, this, uh, this, this visual picture produced by you know, special effects and whatnot and we think about what he endured. But, but folks, listen, all we're seeing is a physical manifestation. We, we, we can't even see really what was happening in the spirit realm. There was a spiritual thing happening uh, there that, that was totally unprecedented. That, that Jesus allowed himself to be arrested in this form of death for a period of three days, which was, which was uh, outside of, of the realm of righteousness. He could not allow, you know, uh, because he was righteous, death could not hold him. But what he did, he took that upon himself. He took the effects of, of, of death upon himself and paid that penalty even though there was, there was nothing upon him to hold that to him. And so he that, 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 that bore our sins was righteousness and he, uh, he took the effects of the consequences of that, that sin upon himself even though there was nothing deserving, even though there was nothing. That's why the Scripture says that death could not hold him. It could not hold him because there was nothing for it to attach itself to. He knew no sin. Even in death, he knew no sin. And so he allowed death to come upon him or the consequence or the effect of death to come upon him while he was in a complete state of holiness and righteousness. And, and see, I don't even know if you can even grip that as I'm saying it. And I hope by the Holy Spirit you can. It's, it's kind of like, you know, you have... Say you have two children, and one of your children is just, I tell you what, is the model citizen. That, that model citizen is, uh, that, that child does good, is never disrespectful, is, is a child that loves God and prays, and is just really just every, child, every parent's dream child. Then you have another child that's in total rebellion, and, and is, is, is doing everything in opposition to the will of their parents. And, and, and what, it, what it would be like is if that, that rebellious child came in and began to just blaspheme the name of God in your home, began to backtalk the parents and began to, to, to be physically abusive. And the parent go over and begin to beat and to begin to chastise that model child. And telling that other child, listen, I'm going to continue to beat this model child until you come to repentance. 
Now, would we ever look at that with fear? We would think that that would be the most heinous thing that anyone could ever do. We'd think, you know what? How, how can that be justice? How, how, could that, how could you even qualify that? And the parent could say, listen, we're just, I'm trying to show them an example. I'm going to beat the good child because I know that child's going to stay there and take the, take the beating. And, and hopefully it will change the, the life of the other child because they can see that the good child is willing to take it. You know, in the natural we would think, boy, that is just hideous. You know, how many, how many parents go around, uh, righteous parents I should say, go around beating good children? You just do not do that. You, you, there would be a conflict within you. But folks, that's exactly what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the ultimate son. He was the ultimate good child. But yeah, the, the, the sin of the world and the, 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 the correction, the chastening of the world was laid upon him. He was beaten. And the word says that like a lamb being led to the, the slaughter, he didn't even open his mouth. He didn't even raise a finger. He didn't even do it. But all those things were laid upon him. And God the Father was saying, listen, I'm going to lay the afflictions. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be bruised. And he's going to be uh, smitten so that you'll come to repentance. And, you know, think about in the natural sense, that rebellious child, if they would just snub their nose at their brother or their sister that was willing to take that beating for them. Folks, listen, that's what we do when we continue to walk in, in unconfessed and unrepentant sin. We snub our nose at the sacrifice of our brother who is Christ Jesus, of, uh, of, of being adopted into the beloved by Him. We snub our nose and say, well, that's real nice that you would take that beating for me, but I'm going to continue to walk in my rebellion against the righteousness of God. And if we look at it that, like that and put it in that type of perspective, sometimes we, we really see what Jesus has done for us. And it should serve as a catalyst and a motivation for us to walk in obedience to every single thing that He says. But Jesus could not be held by death because there was no sin in Him. Think about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 and 56. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 and 56 says this. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is in the law. I want to say that again. Death, where is your sting? That's the question. O grave, where is your victory? Where is the, where is the victory that the grave knows or death knows? It is, then it answers the question. It says, the sting of death is, uh, the sting of death is sin. So uh, death, where is your sting? Well, it's in sin. Grave, where is your victory? Well, the strength or the victory of, of, of the grave is in the law. Now, folks, we're talking about one in Christ Jesus who came to fulfill the law, that the law might be fulfilled in him. And, and everything about his life was, was exemplary and, and it was fulfilled in the law. But there was no sting of death upon him because there was no stench of sin upon him. Do you hear me today? You know, and there was no victory that the grave could have over him because the, 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 the law had no strength in him because he had never transgressed the law but he exemplified the ultimate fulfillment of the law. And so literally, death can, it was a struggle for the grave to hold him for the three days that it did. Do you hear me? He had to hold himself to death because death could not hold itself to him. And you, and you see even, even the, 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 the physical ram rumbled. Now think about that. The physical ram rumbled even to try to do it because it was just uh, even... Physically or in the natural realm, an earthquake shook the earth. Why? Because it, it, there was something affecting even uh, the, the, the geological strata of the earth when, when Jesus went down in, 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 into the grave and died because death could not hold Him. And see, folks, it's the exact same thing with us. You know, when, 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 when Adam transgressed, immediately death came upon him. And so he was racing towards death. And, you know, his, his death sentence or his road ran out at 930 years. And, and ours will run out, what, whatever day, three score and ten years or 70 years as days of a man or more by strength. Uh, and so we're on a fast track and we're running to a, a brick wall at the end of a, of a drag strip of life. And one day, death is going to catch up to us. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Why? Because we are housed in a, in a, in a mortal body that has been affected, that has been uh, uh, had the, the imputation, the impartation, deposited of death and sin upon our lives. And so our body is dying day by day. But the good news of it is, is that uh, even though death entered in uh, through one man's sin, that there's a righteousness through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ has come upon us as well. You know, Proverbs 12.28 says this. Proverbs 12.28. It says, In the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway thereof there is no 
death. And so, folks, when we, we hear that, you know, the way of righteousness is life. The way, and the pathway, there is no death. Now, is it talking about a physical death? You know, obviously not there in the book of Proverbs. What it's talking about is a spiritual death. Or talking about an eternal death or an eternal damnation. And so when I'm walking in the pathway of, of righteousness, literally there's, there's, there ceases to be a, 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 an inconsequence of, of judgment upon me. And now there's just the consequence or the outcome of righteousness that comes on my life through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we can look at when Paul the Apostle says things such as, you know, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Why? Because he knows that no longer would he be housed within the, the, the frailty of a dying flesh. But immediately, he, he would come to the fulfillment of that place that God had intended even at the, 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 uh, before Adam failed, uh, fell in the garden. And so, uh, uh, when, when we come to Christ Jesus, our, our pathway immediately becomes the path of righteousness and, and the way of righteousness becomes life in our life. And I want to back up just a minute. He said, they had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. In other words, uh, when they sinned, they did not sin... Uh, or break that, that rule that he was given. And so he was told, listen, you have dominion over all the things in the garden. He said, you know, you the only one thing, just do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so his sin or his transgression was a specific sin. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so what he was saying, he said, even, he said, even though you didn't break that specific sin. They couldn't break it. Why? Because they were off limits now to the, to the, to the garden which had the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and also had the tree of life. Had they gone back in and eaten of that, they, they would have continued to live even in their sinful situation. God forbid. But he was saying, even though you have not done that, that death had still reigned upon you and the, 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 the testimony or the witness of that, uh, of that sin is the fact that you are dying. And so in the second part of verse 14, he said, and even though they had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. And so it's basically saying that they didn't sin in the same way uh, through a personal sin or a personal transgression against a prescribed large standard or command. But while they did not personally commit the original offense, they became guilty of the offense because they were the offspring of that. You know, I think about something, even as I said that, you know, the Word tells us that a good name is better to have than great riches. And you know, you're identified, I'm identified by our name. If you're pulled over by a law enforcement officer, they're going to ask you for identification, which has your name. If you're going to vote for a, 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 a political campaign, they're going to ask you for a voter registration that has your name. Whatever you do, if you're going to cash a check or something of that nature, people are always going to go ask your name. And speaking of checks, you know, there's a, there's a system out, and I used to work in banking, that was called CheckRite in Texas. I don't know what it's called in various parts of the, the country. But what they would do is if you went into a business to write a check, they could put your account number in, and they could find out if you were on the hot checklist. If you were on the list of people who had written checks that were insufficient funds. And your name would be on it, and as a result, you couldn't cash a check. You, they wouldn't take a check from you. And, and folks, it's, it's kind of like that within the kingdom, and with the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. You know, listen, we, we've been given a name, and that name follows us. And so, uh, as a result of that name, we're, we're either going to be able to cash the check of righteousness, or that check is going gonna, is gonna to bounce, and we're going to spend eternity in hell. But the thing about it is, is even with Adam, because of his name, because everything came out of him, we all have to, are answerable to that name. And so, you know, I could give the, I could give the name of, of, of a ter certain type of uh, restaurant or a certain restaurant. That's, and maybe you were eating it at one of the franchise restaurants in another part of the country that did not maintain a particular standard. But you may not eat at the one in my part of the country that does maintain that standard, has very good food, because you associate the, the, uh, the, the name with the bad food or the service. You know, certain types of automobiles over the years were given a bad name and they were always associated with, with a lemon. You know, when I was a kid, they'd always, you know, people that, that loved Chevrolets would say that about Ford, they would say Ford uh, is, an, is an acronym for fix or repair daily. Yeah, fix or repair daily or, or found on the road dead, you know. <laughs> and so it was a bad name. You know, I'm not driving a Ford because Ford's, but you see tens of thousands, I think the top selling vehicle in the United States uh, as far as. Pickup trucks is probably the, the Ford product, F-150. And so you see that there's an association with that name. And so because Adam fell, and even though it was not after the similitude or after the same exact sin that he committed, we were adopted in that name of mankind. 
And so that, 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 uh, that sin came and Adam received that one command and disobeyed it. We took upon that name. And we took upon the, the effects of that transgression. And you think about this, even under Moses, under the law, that many commands were given and every single one of them were broken. And so we think to ourselves, if I, if, uh, uh, if I could just be given a, a standard of conduct or certain rules, whether it's simple or complex, that maybe I'll do right. No, folks, listen. It, it, it does not have the capacity, rules or regulations do not have the capacity uh, to cause us to walk in Christ Jesus. Only faith in His shed blood provides us the capacity to, to, to walk in righteousness. Religion, though, always thinks that establishing more laws or more rules to hedge people in will create righteousness. And all these things really do is create an environment for more transgression. I want to say that again. Religion always thinks, let me give them one more rule, one more law, and it's going to create more righteousness. But what it actually does is create more transgressions. I think about some of the things that have been happening within the, the Catholic Church in the last ten years with the uh, homosexual pedophile priest. I, I add the word, most of them will say pedophile, but I've noticed that they, they're not, they, I've never actually seen one that has actually committed those atrocities towards a little girl. Have you thought about that? And so what they're doing is they're committing, uh, they're committing that offense against young boys. And so it's not only pedophilia, but it's homosexual pedophilia. And I can't underscore that enough because of the, all, we've been talking about all the gay rights and all the legislation that's being passed. It's, it's literally legislating immorality. And, and they're wondering why these type of things are going. And you know what are they going to legislate next? Bestiality? I mean, and there's going to be special rights for those. And, and in, in many uh, cities, they have hate crimes that are because of someone's sexual orientation. Now, do I believe that, that uh, anybody that is in sin, whether it's homosexuality or drug addiction, uh, deserves to be uh, beaten or killed as a result? Absolutely not, because they're already on a fast track to death, hell, and destruction anyway. But, uh, but even within the, the confines of just talking about those rules and regulations. You know, within the Catholic Church, you know, there's these rules that are put on people that are the priests. You've got to remain celibate. You can't take a wife. You can't do these things. And, you know, what has that played out to? I believe it's played out to the consequences that we're seeing. We're seeing those type of rules that they, they couldn't maintain that. And so what you see is where the law was, sin abounded. And it, it wasn't just something bad. It wasn't bad enough for that priest to say, I'm going to go get me a mistress or a grown woman to have a fling with it. It, it. It's abounding even more because they put a tighter rein. No, he's not going to have a woman. It's not that he's just going to molest a, a young girl that, that couldn't say anything or a child. Not all that, but it's abounding even more. He's not even just going to uh, molest children, but it's going to be uh, uh, male children in a, in, a, in a homosexual type of way. And so you can see that, that all those rules, basically all they've created is, is, is a greater environment for more transgressions. And so we've got to do this, that, and the other. And what it's done is given way to, to greater immorality. It's given greater way to more uh, uh, false doctrine. And what you'll see those type of things. You hear people say, and it's become almost cliche, that it's, we're not about religion, we're about relationship. And, and that's, that's, that's a lot more said than what I see done. Because the relationship in Christ Jesus is going to produce righteousness in a person's life. It's not going to produce a, a, a freedom and a, and, a, and a license to sin. But not only that, it's going to produce. Not only is it going to produce righteousness, but it's going to produce obedience to do the things that he did. And one of those things is to, to seek and to save that which was lost. And so I hear a lot of pulpits, and I've heard uh, radio programs and uh, pastors preaching and say it's not about uh, religion; it's about it's about uh, relationship. Yet the relationship is not. Uh, Indicative or reflective of a relationship which is in Christ Jesus, which was con would compel us to go out and and, and, and and to seek and to save the lost and, and to win them into the kingdom of God. So what it really is, it's religion dressed up like relationship. Uh, Romans 5.20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense or that the sin might abound. And that word abound, it's not just a word abound, it's really to be a super abounding or to increase. And just like I, I gave the example of within Catholicism, all these many rules, that, and especially within their, 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 their priesthood, what it's created is created a super abounding of, of debauchery and of wickedness. And literally hundreds of millions of dollars have been paid out uh, from the Catholic Church to settle these cases of, of, of sexual abuse. But what's interesting about that is that you know, none of that money was, was produced by the people committing the offenses. It was those people that are out there within those parishes or in those congregations that, that aren't doing those things that are, that are giving 
and it's and it's theirs that is paying, but they still continue to give towards something. Think about that. They continue to invest in the in the wickedness of that whoredom, of that debauchery. They continue to, to give their money knowing that it's going to be paid out in hundred million dollar settlements to the victims of that sick and heinous uh, immorality that's brought about not through a relationship with Jesus, but through that that that, that demonic uh, uh, legalism and, and and religious order that has nothing to do with Christ. Uh, himself, and so where the the law entered, uh, sin uh, sin abounded. In other words, the law was put there to uh, to put a name on what was always present below the surface. It just served to speed things up and to expedite the process. And so, for your children, you say, "Well, I hope they'll learn." But if you give them some rules and some things to gauge it by and go by, what what we do is we expedite the process. We teach them. That's why we send them to school. That's why we we teach them things. That way, they don't have to learn from our mistakes. Or from the similitude of Adam's transgression, but they can learn and they can uh, they can gauge things based upon the the established uh, laws and the manifestation of those things. That way, when they commit that offense, they realize that hey, listen, he's justified in the uh, uh, in the effects or the consequences of the effects. Uh, and so then it goes on to the last part of verse fourteen. It says that speaking of Adam, it said he is the figure of him that was to come, or he's the example, or he's a type of Christ. And so, folks, listen, Adam was a type of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was a type of Adam. And I want to read something to you to kind of explain that out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 45 through 49. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 49, it says this. And so it's written, the first Adam okay, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterwards, the spiritual in other words, it says, listen, the spiritual one didn't come first, which would be Jesus Christ, but the natural one came first. Then after that came the, na- the, the spiritual. The first man, Adam, was of, uh, was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord, and he's made from heaven. And the, the man, or the first Adam, of dust, so also there are those who are made of dust, and as is the heavenly man, so are those who are heavenly. Did you hear that? It says that just as Adam was, was, was a man of the earth, so is there, there are those that are made after that. But then it goes on to say, uh, but just as that is, there's going to be some that are made after the similitude or the example of the heavenly man. That's those that are born again. And as we are born the, uh, the image of the, the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And so you can just see what he's saying. He said, listen, even though we are born of the dust of the earth, even though we are born uh, with the effects or the... Uh, the the consequences of the similitude uh, or in, in the similarity or the effects of Adam's sin or transgression. Listen, there's an opportunity for us to be born of the Spirit, man. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, but whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so what this is establishing is that they both represented a class or something or humanity, really, in its entirety. Adam, the first Adam, represented uh, the author of the fallen and the disobedient, while the second Adam, who is Jesus Christ, uh, represented the faithful and the obedient by faith. And so we, we see the representation of that. And, and every single one of us are, are given a choice. You know, in this world, I, I can say that my father, his name is Raymond. My mother's name is Catherine. I had no choice in that. I was born after that. I did, I did not have no choice when I came from my mother's womb to establish my lineage, to establish my, uh, my posterity prior to that where I came from. None of those things. Uh, my national origin, those things were determined for me. But I came to the place where I could establish who I would be born of. And while my, my dad is Raymond Bond, my, my, my father is, is God uh, uh, Almighty. And in my the relationship that I have with Raymond Vaughn is a very temporary relationship that that will that will cease the day that that this this mortal flesh takes upon immortality and I'm I see the fulfillment of my adoption into the beloved. Why? Because I've been made an heir together with Christ, uh, and an heir and, and a joint heir, and I'm a recipient of the benefits of of that relationship. And so, uh, when I was dead, I was, uh, uh, I was a part of the authorship of, of Adam's fall and his disobedience. But once I become uh, born again in Christ Jesus, I become a, a representative or a, a representative factor uh, in everything that he does in relationship to faithfulness and obedience. And so, folks, each of those things would affect the whole community that would follow after their pattern. Uh, once a pattern of death and, and one is a pattern of Life. And so, verse 15, I'm going to read it. It says, But not as the offense 
so is also the free gift. For through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has many abounded unto him. That's a, that's a mouthful. A better translation of that that might be easier for you to understand is this, the gift is not like the trespass, in that by one man's sin many would suffer the deadly consequences, but much more than through the divine influence of God upon the heart and subsequent reflection of righteousness, the influence of God's righteousness in Jesus Christ covers a multitude of transgressions. And so just as one transgression uh, brought a, a multitude of destruction, just that one bit of righteousness brought even greater manifestation of righteousness upon us who have committed a multitude of offenses and sins upon God. So while both situations, Adam's fall and Christ's sacrifice, touched all of humanity, not they weren't at the same level. And I, I, I really want to can't underscore that enough. And that kind of goes back to what I was talking about, just who Jesus was. You know, Adam was a man. Uh, Adam was a man made as an in the image of of God. He was not ma- uh, a man made. In, uh, in, he was made in the image of the likeness or the reflection of God. He, he was not uh, a man made out of the same uh, components or as God as some would try to wrongly teach. And so as a reflection of God, there was characteristics that he was in possession of, but there was obviously characteristics that he was not in possession of. I can go look in a, in a, and behold my face in a mirror in my, in my bedroom or my bathroom today, and I'm going to see something reflective or an image of myself. But that image does not carry the life that this does. And it was the same thing with, with Adam. Adam was a reflection. He, he benefited as long as he stayed in front of the mirror, so to speak. Is that a good way to put it for you? And as long as I stand in front of the mirror as a living, breathing person, that mirror is going to be reflective of who I am. As soon as I move out from front of that mirror, I'm no reflective of the one standing in front of it. And so what Adam's sin did, it removed him from the place of reflection. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? And so as he beheld himself in the, the, in the mirror of God and he was created in that reflection, once he sinned, he lost his perspective or he lost his view and he lost the ability to, to correspond to what was going on with God. If I look in the mirror and I raise this hand, you know what? Corresponding directly in front of me, that hand's going to raise. If I blink this eye corresponding because I'm face to face with that mirror or that reflection, this eye is going to wink in, cor- in, in corresponding fashion to that. That mirror, as long as I'm standing in front of it, is never going to do anything different than what I'm doing. It's going to, it's going to effectively, at the exact same time, do exactly what I'm doing. And so, folks, when, when Adam sinned, he, he, he ceased to, to walk in the manifestation of that image, being created in the image of God. And so what the blood of Jesus has done, and through faith in Him, it's brought us back into that place. We've allowed, been, been called to look at ourselves as beholding ourselves in a looking glass. And as long as we're in Christ and we're in that place, beholding ourselves in the mirror, we are reflective of Him. As long as we maintain that. But through our sin, through our disobedience, through our rebellion, we, we move away from the reflective uh, element of God's grace and mercy and of His Spirit. Then what do we do? We do the exact same thing. Pardon? Yeah, we always have a way. We can step right back into that place and be reflective of Him. But the, th- on- the only things that we can call righteousness, our relationship with Him, are the things that, that, that mirror the, the character of the one that we're standing in front of. And so we've always got to keep Him, His face, ever before us. We've got to, to, to seek His face. Why? Because when we seek His face, then we're reflective of the, of the, 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 the spirit of that face and reflective of the, uh, of the aspects and the, 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 the consequences of that face as well. So we've always got to stay at that place. And so, uh, uh, we go down here just a little bit. So that it touched all humanity, but not at the same level. I just want to really make that point because Adam was was one individual that imputed because of one sin. Jesus, one life covered everyone. So you see the magnitude of the sacrifice that Jesus did. The offense occurred out of a heart that had devised to commit transgressions against the standard, while the payment, which was Jesus, devised to provide righteous provision for the transgression that he did not commit or have any party to whatsoever. He was the righteous son. He was the, the, the lamb without spot or blemish. He was the one. And so what we see in this is we see that through Adam's fall, all are condemned. It, and you may ask yourself, is this fair or is it consistent what we would think of a loving God or would He condemn anyone to an inescapable uh, burning hell? And, and the, the question is, is, is He provided a way out? 
And we think to ourselves, and I hear people say this all the time when we're out witnessing, well, I don't believe that a loving God would, would send anyone to hell. And uh, I, I want to answer that question. I don't want to just give you just a blanket answer to that. I'm going to give you something else. Let's look at, let's look at John chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. John 3, 18 through 20. It says that he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is already condemned. In other words, they were condemned from the word go. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come to the world. And the men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So what you have, people will say, I don't believe a God of love would send anyone to hell. Uh, but, but people fail to realize that God's love is inseparable from his holiness. And so love offers a choice. And holiness demands righteousness, so there's no way around that. And so people will say, listen, how could God condemn me? Well, God's not condemning me. You know, many of you guys that are watching this or listening to this uh, know that, uh, that we went through Hurricane Katrina in, in New Orleans that, that devastated the city. One of the interesting things about that is that the, the newspaper and on the, the newsmen and everything, days before the, the hurricane struck, they told people to leave town. They said, you need, to, you need to get out of town. But there's many people that lived in the city for a number of years that had never left during a hurricane in their lifetime because nothing had ever been so devastating as Hurricane Katrina. They told people, you need to leave, that this, this hurricane is coming, that the effects could be uh, devastating. But they stayed there. And as a result, you, you saw the imagery. People stranded on top of housetops. And, 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 and many people, I think we had, we had what, 3,000 people die as a result of Hurricane Katrina striking the, the Gulf Coast and flooding New Orleans as the levees breached. But afterwards, what was interesting to me, you know, we got out of harm's way. We got out of the places lower beyond sea level. Not miles and miles away, but we got outside of the city just north of the, uh, the troubled spots. And, but afterwards, uh, you know, people began to say, well, why didn't you come and rescue me in time? They began to point fingers at the National Guard of President Bush, of Ray Nagin, of, uh, of the mayor of, of, of New Orleans, Ray Nagin, and of the governor. And they began to point those fingers. But folks, listen, they were given, a, they were given warning to get out. And, you know, there, there was a response. But who was, the, who was the initial responsibility for? It, it wasn't for those that came in after the destruction when things were very difficult. But it was for those to get out prior to that. I don't know about you, but if I, if I know a building is fixing to topple down in, in, on top of my head and the elevator's out, I'm not going to say to myself, well, because i got to walk down the stairs, I'm going to get crushed. Because I, I can't have the, the luxury of the elevator, I'm not going to do it. And so what you had many people say, well, we didn't have such and such, we didn't have this. Folks, listen, I don't, I don't care if I have to run downstairs or if I have to walk out of something that's going to destroy me, I'm going to do that type of thing. And so what mankind has been much like uh, some of the victims of Hurricane Katrina. They thought, well, you know what, if I'm going to do this, you need to make it easy for me. You, you need to, to put me in a safe place. You need to do these type of things. Listen, uh, you saw the atrocities that were happening in the Superdome. The Superdome was not built to house uh, hurricane victims. It was not housed for that. It was, it was built to have football games in. And so people say, well, look at the atrocities. Well, you're, you're, you're trying to live on a football field. Now, folks, it's the same way with the kingdom of God. We, we, we wonder why things aren't right when we're not serving Jesus. Or lost people are wondering why they're, they're bound by these type of things because they're, they're, they're trying to live on a playing field that was not built to live life or to have victory on. The only field that was made to, to, to support life was, was the, the field of the cross of Calvary. Was, was that type of life. That is the life that is going to produce holiness. That is the life. And so if people say, listen, it's, it's, it's not fair for God to do that. God provided the out. He sent the helicopters. He sent the boats. He sent the buses. He sent everything uh, in, the, in, the, in the cross of Calvary to get you out. Now, if you're so lazy, if you're so rebellious that you're going to stay in your sin and, and continue to walk in those things and not receive the out, and you think it's God not being fair, look how foolish that you're being and, and by, by not receiving the free gift of, of salvation through the blood of Jesus. And so will God uh, 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 say, well, it's not fair for, the, for uh, people to allow folks to drown in a flood. Well, they're not allowing them to do that. The people uh, said, I'm going to stay where I'm at and do those type of things. There was a warning. It wasn't like a flash flood. And so it's the same thing with the kingdom of God. God has provided a warning. We are here today 
shouting out a warning to all to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And no one is going to be able to stand before God on that day and say, well, I didn't know. I I wanted to get out, but they didn't make it easy enough for me. Or I had to climb down some stairs. Yeah, you'll climb down some stairs and you'll climb over some boulders in the process and you'll have to go through a lot of things in this world. But God said that His Son Jesus has overcome the world. Holiness is one of the demands of righteousness. And the only way we're going to get to heaven is through righteousness in Christ Jesus through faith in Him. It says in verse 16, it says, And, and, and not as it was that, that uh, by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses under justification. And so when it says that not as one, that, uh, not as one by one sin, so is the gift, it's basically repeating the same thing that we saw in verse 15. It's saying, listen, it's, it, it's, while the, the effect is going to be the same, it's going to have wide-ranging consequences, the, the fact that Jesus and who He was, the, it's, it's so much greater. The, the way out is so much bigger than the way was that went in. And so Paul is drawing con- uh, contrast again, since it uh, was one by one many who, who invited this transgression, it was two, one that provided eternal life. And so then it, it changes from the last verse when it says this. It says, Adam's sin affected all who would come after him indiscriminate of who they were. And it would affect all, uh, even those who were yet born. And so once Adam fell, it was indiscriminate. Everybody was going to be affected of it. And uh, Psalms 51.15, David really gives that pure example. He says, I was shaping in iniquity, and in sin my mother did conceive me. So Adam sinned, and it affected anyone indiscriminate of when they would be born or what family they came out of. But uh, So in Adam's case, everybody was affected because all would come out of his loins, so to speak. Or all would have been in Adam. And so apart from Christ Jesus, you were in the flesh, you were in Adam, you were in that type of, of bondage. But with the second Adam, or Jesus, his righteousness would, would be offered to all, but could only be received by those who through faith would be in Christ Jesus. i got a question here. What does that question say? And who said this? Neat. 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 Are you from New Orleans? I would love to know where you were from. The re- the reason I said that is because I lived in the city of New Orleans. To do that, so I don't speak as. Yeah, I, I lived in the city, and I know the the things that were given prior to that. And so people are going to say the same thing. Well, well, you know, and really, that's a, really a good example of what's going to happen on the day of judgment. People are going to say, "Listen, we shouldn't be judged, or we shouldn't be too far with that, because we never got to hear, or we never had the opportunity." Folks, everybody that lived in New Orleans realized that they lived 26 feet below sea level. I knew it when I moved to the city. I knew when I lived there. I knew when I moved that there was going to be there was a, a risk. The people that live in Southern California that build their houses on the side of cliffs know that there is something that that house is eventually going to come down, that there is a law in action. We call it Newton's law, that for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. It's called gravity. It's the same thing with, with living in those type of places. I live here in Florida now. I know that eventually I'm going to have to, to get out of the way of another hurricane. I know that. I know that I live in a place that is the, uh, the, the capital for lightning strikes. I know that. And so the consequences of that, I chose to live where I live. And But... They give us warnings to get out of that path. And same thing with what we're doing with preaching the gospel is providing a warning on those type of things. What what gets people's heartstrings, I believe, is that we want to keep it on an emotional level rather than on, on really a spiritual and a personal responsibility level. And so the responsibility... Brother, you know what? When I lived in New Orleans, I was poor. I, I'm poor. I'm not a wealthy person. I have to depend upon God every single day. And so uh, to speak, when the Word says the poor will always be among you, listen... You're, you're looking at one of the, the poor as well. And you've you got to make those provisions. But the, the, the poor in spirit, as the attitudes say, they're going to be the ones that will seek after God. And I don't want to make a whole lot about that. But Second Corinthians really taught, and I want to close with this this morning, that Adam's sin came in and it affected everyone. But when righteousness came in, it gave us an ability to step out from those type of things. And, and But it, it only comes when we're in Christ. In John 15 1 through 8 says this. John 15, 1 through 8. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit is taken away, and every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it bring, may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in the vine, 
Because no more ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done. Herein is my Father glorified that you might bear much fruit and so you will be my disciples. Folks, really that's where it comes down to. It comes with abiding in Him. And so that's the difference between Adam's sin. Adam's sin, we were born into that and so it affected everybody. But in Christ Jesus, it's an act of faith. And now it requires us to step back and, and, and step into that place of abiding in the vine and living and walking in Christ Jesus. Why? Because if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a brand new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Uh, folks, we are totally out of time today. Uh, got one bit of advice for you? Get into God's Word. God's Word will get into you. 